This season turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tap some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Bales torn in two, so we gon' be alright. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a job full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now one truth, life, one way to his throne. Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. This is Messiah Matters, number 427. Looking for mystery clips. My name is Caleb Hegg. And doing the ponytail. No, I did not get a haircut. Rocking the ponytail. That's right. Woohoo. It's been two weeks since we were on the air. It uh, feels good. Feels good. Yeah, I got my... uh... I don't, I'm not sure if I'm less wise or more wise. I'm not sure how the wisdom teeth thing work. Yeah. But I had my out. lower right extracted, and uh, it was a little more tender than I uh, expected. I've had all four taken out. It's an experience every time. Ooh. Uh, I've been horribly ill. Uh, in fact, today is the first day that I'm starting to feel better. But uh, I'm, uh, I still got the cough, so the cough button is on standby. For any time I need to cough. i got to blow my nose a lot, too. The cough goes off. The cough goes, exactly. But 
but I do have I do have the cool movie voice. One man, one desire. Nice. Yes, exactly. All right. Uh, looks like we're already getting super chats in the chat room. This reminds me, actually, no. Before we get to Love Is Bigger's super chat, which, by the way, thank you very much. Uh, before we get there. I have neglected one of our executive producers uh, for quite some time, and I do apologize. I hope Bobby is in the uh, chat room. Oh, Bobby is in the chat room. Bobby's in the chat room. He's been a producer, uh, an executive producer, for quite some time now. He wrote in. Now, we offer our executive producers, for those who don't know, we offer our executive producers to write out a message each quarter if they want to, something short and sweet to be read on air. And uh, obviously, we have to approve it, but, but... Uh, if approved, then uh, we will read it on air. And Bobby mm. wrote in and said, hey, look, I uh, love you guys. And instead of having a, uh, a, a, a message read on air, I would like a clip played on air. Now, this was probably months ago. And somehow it got, it got lost in the shuffle. And I apologize. I found that email so here we're gonna we're gonna string one together. We'll put this with a uh, with a you've been blessed for for Bobby. Here is Bobby's wanted clip. Nope, I'm not hearing it. Hang on, just a sec. Wait, wait, I'm not hearing it. Hang on, hang hang on. I apologize. Let's see here. What's going on? Let me quit this. Open it back up. Okay. While we wait to see if I can actually get my uh, my clips going, Rob. Tell tell our listeners the horrible news of your of your papers at SBL this year. Rejected. Oh, oh, oh it's rejected. So sad. Now I, this is I this submitted is a, two proposals. Yeah, both of them. Sorry, we don't want you. Oh no, I, that's not what it was. No, it's here, like we have here's, a, we have here, only so many spots. We have tons of good papers. Here's what it was. Yeah. Here's what it was. You have been dominating the papers in your respected groups for the They're past like, years. Dude, someone you needs to give stop other, this fan Hoff, dude. You got to give other people a chance. Let's just see if I have uh, if I have sound on this yet. Okay, there's that. Um, so I I actually now I know that you're disappointed, but I actually think this is not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I think the Lord. My wife doing, agrees with you. Yeah, I think this is a good thing, and th this is the reason why I think you're going to be able to go to ETS and SBL. I think you're going to be able to to hang out with us the whole time. You're not going to be focused on that. Right. We're it's like a different to, gear. It's like I, exactly. I can cruise rather yeah. than you know. So Lord willing, we'll go down. We'll have some good uh, good uh, collegial. Know, fellowship and we'll right. enjoy some good papers and you won't see me pacing uh the pulling the, his uh, hair out the, pulling the his hair out. okay now that we have this let's go back to <laughs> let's go back to bobby's clip let's see if we can finally get this going here we go here's bobby's clip that he's he's wanted for months god said he chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise do you know if you're an intellectual you'll probably end up in hell for it <laughs> you've been blessed Awesome. Uh, I don't Bobby, remember that. It's not. It's not. A, it's a new one. He he had me pull it himself. Nice. All right. Nice. And then uh, love is bigger. Sent us a super chat that just says Shalomi homies. That's a uh, that's a Steve Seymour <laughs> if I've ever heard it. Um, and so we will uh, we'll we'll give we'll give her some uh, some love too. What is what do we? Oh, my favorites. Let's do this. Let's do this for her. She loves that, that, and that. Here we go. Your mom goes to college. 
We do not get a lot of humor here, and when we do, it's wonderful. Weights and measures. You've been blessed. Thank you for the super chat. It's, uh, you know, I got to say, running a soundboard like this, my son asked me the other day, hey, Dad, can I edit your, uh, your, your show live? Can I, like, do something live? And I was like, that would be interesting. What if all I had to do was talk? That might be that might be nice, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway. Uh, we'll see. We'll give him another year or two. We'll, we'll get him to eleven or twelve years old, and then uh, maybe maybe he can he can come in and, and run the soundboard for us. I have a feeling that our, the sound clips would be coming a lot more frequently. <laughs> We'd constantly be tripping over the soundboard. That's okay. It would be it would be an interesting time, no matter what. Okay, let's jump into it. Let's get to it. Uh, resource.com is our email address. Send us emails. We need Mystery Bible Theater 3000 clips. So if you see something that's wacky, wackadoo, and you want us to comment on it on Friday, please let us know. We actually don't have a clip for this Friday. So um, I'm sorry. It looks like there's not going to be a Mystery Bible Theater 3000 for the second week in a row. <sighs> What can you do? 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. That is our comment line. Won't talk to us. You just get an answering machine. Tell us how much you love us, hate us, whatever you want. Uh, if you want to listen to watch or listen to past shows, go to messiahmatters.com. You can also buy merch there. And then finally, last but not least, torresource.com. I'm going to have a uh, coupon code for everybody next week. Nice. That's right. Next week, if you want to buy something from torresource.com and you want a discount, hey, never fear. You can get it right here on Torresource with the Messiah Matters coupon code. And what I'd like you to do is use that coupon code and uh, get your discount and uh, buy a book or two or audio or video or whatever. Get a library membership, whatever you want. It's going to work even on library memberships, even on library memberships. Believe that. Believe that. So um, I'm not sure how we're going to do that. If you want a library membership and you want a discount, maybe we'll have a separate code for that uh, because the, the library membership is just such a good deal, isn't it? It's just such a good deal. All right. Uh, nonetheless, subscribe to this YouTube channel. It really does help us, believe it or not. Okay. I think that's everything I got in terms of logistics. Now let's get to the fun stuff. Um, okay. Over to my notes. Notes are Craig. Good. Yeah. Craig wrote on one. So, okay. We had, this is why I named this show what did I name it? Something in the water, something with water. I should have said something in the water. That would have been a much better title. Anyway, like the um, Carrie Underwood song. Must be something in the water. I don't know really any. She has a song. There must be something in the water. And it's like, I think it's kind of like this Pentecostal type of song, but she, she breaks into amazing grace and it's, she's a good singer, you know? So it, it, wasn't Carrie Underwood uh, found on uh, American Idol? Yeah, one. I don't know if it was that one, but it was one of the. It was like a Star Search American Idol type of thing. All right. Uh, yeah, I don't know anything about her. Anyway, any okay, hoodles? We, any hoodles? Here we go. Uh, so this was on a. Now we've said many times after ten years, all we're doing is regurgitating uh, the, uh, the 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 topics that we've done before, and so you can go on online and already find this topic. The topic is whether or not, and this is uh, a point of contention for a lot of people. Let's let's set this up. Let's just set this up the way it should be set up. 
Um, basically, there is a belief within the, the Messianic and the Hebrew Roots movement, and I would say within some scholarship as well, right? So some scholars believe this as well. Uh, however, I don't believe it's the prevailing view. And the, the view is this, that the baptism directly descends from a mikvah, or that it is some form of a mikvah. If you don't know what a mikvah is, a mikvah is in Judaism and within the Torah, it's a ritual bath, okay? So a bath that you would take for uncleanness. I become ritually unclean. I have to go to the temple. What do I do? I go and I take a ritual bath, okay? And so it is believed that baptism is the child is the, is the child of mikvahs, okay? So when John the Baptist goes out to the Jordan, what he does is he's, he's just performing a mikvah, and he's just doing it unto Christ, or unto himself, or unto whatever it may be at the time that he starts doing mikvahs. This is what John the Baptist is doing. Now, we have opposed this view, and, and we've opposed this view not because we just feel like opposing stuff, but there is scholarship that has really pushed on the idea that a, a baptism comes from a mikvah. Now, are they related in some ways? Probably, of course, they both have to do with water, and, and certainly there is some symbolism that crosses over. But really the question that, uh, that, that takes shape within the scholarly realm, and a good person to look at for this is Dr. Craig Keener. I disagree with Dr. Craig Keener on, on many, many things. However, he is a dynamite scholar and uh, a wonderful man. I've, I've interviewed him on this show before. Uh, he's... And we see him and, and chat with him every uh, every ETS uh, and SBL. It's just a wonderful, wonderful person. Nonetheless, um, he has argued that the mikvah is separate from a baptism. And the reason why is because mikvahs were not initiations into a sect, right? They were not initiations into anything. They were not pledging allegiance, they were performing an act of symbolism of becoming clean, taking ritual cleanness and becoming ritually clean through a bath. Whereas a baptism seems to initiate you and pledge allegiance to someone or something or some movement. So the question is, is when did, when would a mikvah have shifted so greatly in understanding and theology to become that? And so it's believed, well, maybe it wasn't connected. Maybe something else happened. And what we see is that the first attestation, as it were, of a baptism that we see, now this is debated, I will admit, and I want Rob to come in on this. Uh, as soon as I mention Qumran, I'll, I'll pass over to you, Rob. But it's argued by Keener that the baptism, the first time we see baptism as an initiation right into a sector, into a person, or into allegiance into something, is actually in the Gospels. He argues that the initiation into the Qumran sect is not actually a baptism, but just a mikvah that would be done over and over and over and over and over again. In other words, the first time a person comes into this into the sect after being in their uh, in their trial period for two years, they would come in, they would do a mikvah. And then that was the first of several a day for the rest of their lives. And so this is not like a baptism because a baptism is different. It's once for all. Do you have anything to say about that, Rob? Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a good distinction to make. Um, that this idea of immersion for a specific purpose, like in the name of, right, which we see at the end of, Matthew 28, 
baptizing them. The idea is that God. means it is a social marker, a one-time social marker. Like it's a public, a public um, display, if you will. In in the community, in a in a specific community, which reflects um, a transition, right? Into you could say maybe even conversion. Not that not that the baptism itself is a conversion, but it's marking, it's it's publicly claiming this this uh, transition into the people of God, the ecclesia, right. and. Um, so, but another point is, you know, we have a couple other issues. One is, you know, just the the archaeological perspective, which is like, look at all the rise in the Roman period of mikvaot among the, uh, you know, little community and villages throughout the land of Israel. Um, and that the, most of these, I think all are probably private. I think if not the vast majority are in private spaces that means or shared village spaces that were guarded and protected. I think we've talked about this before. So it's not like let's say you were just you were wandering down from Jerusalem with your buddy, you know, and you're like gonna do an all day trek downhill. You're gonna go to Jericho. Hey, you know what? We we walked by this dead <clears throat> this dead animal and we we accidentally touched it and now we're unclean. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, let's just, I know those, those Qumran dudes, I think they have a, a mikvah over there. Hey, like this would be a good, if anybody wants to produce a, a, a little YouTube short, this would be funny. Like, Hey, um, can we come in and use your mikvah? <laughs> it's like Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> they're like, going to say, no, you know what I mean? Oh, they're they're not. It's it, so we have to recognize that there's a sectarian element. And right. so, uh, uh, you know, and there's uh, the account, I think it's in Luke 11, where Yeshua is invited to have lunch with a Pharisee. And the Pharisee is like amazed that Yeshua doesn't immerse. Right. Uh, that he doesn't immerse. And so some think, oh, it means he didn't wash his hands. No, it doesn't say that. It's just he didn't immerse himself, which it, my understanding of that passage is that the Pharisee was probably pretty well to do. He was in a in a neighborhood that had like a Pharisaic kind of couple houses, maybe, and they had a, a shared mikvah that they all watched and ma maintained together, or that he was super wealthy and had his his own mikvah. Like we know that the high priest had mikvahot in his his uh, uh, residence in Jerusalem. But in any case, Yeshua's like, I, in a way, he's like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that you know and he's like you guys are so worried about cleaning the outside of the cup you you cover up the fact that you, the inside of the cup is all messy right so he uses that as a teaching moment but back to john the baptist which i think is an awesome point how come john the baptist was out in, in the river jordan when right. at the base of the temple on the the south end of the temple oh, there was okay. all sorts of huge mikvah oat how I come he wasn't co preaching there I want you to come back to this point. Let's actually read the comment. We never even got to the comment. And uh, let's read this from Craig. So this was on a video that we did called Baptism versus Mikvah. And we talk about this exact, exact same thing. But this is what Craig says in regard to that video. He says, John the Baptist was not, capitals N-O-T, not a Christian. 
but a son of a Levite high priest. Now I don't, let's just He's stop. He's a son right of Aaron. He was, he was a son of Aaron. Yeah. There, there's but, no, a Levite high priest is a, is like the department of redundancy department, right? <laughs> that, the Levite high priest. I mean, so it's it's it says he's a son of Aaron, right? Luke one, right? Anyway, keep. Well, interesting. Oh, so he wasn't. No one called him. Oh, I would probably agree. No one ever called John the Baptist in his life was not called uh, uh, Christianos. And I think John yeah. died before the word Christian came into use. Right. However, so, what? It, however, I think it's interesting that these two things in this comment seem to be seem to be I don't want to I don't want to misrepresent Craig here but uh they seem to be juxtaposed to each other that John the Baptist couldn't be a Christian because he was a levite high priest you know there certainly could have been levites and high priests <laughs> that were Christians right and the thing is, is that even though the word christian may not have been uh extant at the time of John the Baptist, certainly he sees our Lord and, and pledges allegiance to him, which I would argue, at least in the first century, is how the term Christ, Christian is used. It's attached to people who pledge allegiance to Jesus, to Yeshua. And so, I mean, in terms of the word, yes, the word Christian was not attached to John the Baptist, but I would argue that in essence... The meaning of the word Christian is exactly what John the Baptist was. He was a follower of Christ. Okay, let's go on with Craig's comment. He says, what John did was, uh, what John was doing, rather, uh, I'm sorry. So this is not my fault in reading. This is actually a, a, mis, uh, a typo. He says, what John did was doing. So I think it was, what John was doing, that's what it should be, uh, was uh, the mikvah, which is well known to Jews from all the scriptures in the Torah. Okay, so this is obviously the, the rub here. This is uh, where Craig is taking issue with our comments, is that uh, he believes that John the Baptist was simply doing a mikvah. So let's talk about that for a second. I want to go back to, to Rob's point that he made right before I launched into this comment. If it was a mikvah, if it was simply a mikvah, why did he leave? And, and N.T. Wright talks about this uh, quite a bit. If this was a mikvah, why then did John the Baptist leave Jerusalem? There are plenty of mikvah oat in Jerusalem, and it would have been a, 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 a thumb in the eye of the Pharisees even more if he was doing some kind of, uh, some kind of, you know, uh, mikvah to Christ in Jerusalem. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. I, I have my suspicion. My suspicion is because the, the situation, at, well, A, it's in God's wisdom and his timing is, is the basic answer. If I were to speculate as to what was going on is that John out in the Jordan River is open access space that's uncontrolled by sectarian hostility you right you, that the the volume of repentance that that was to come about through John's preaching required it to be out it required people to get out because it encoded a criticism of Herod of the king for one because that's how he ended up dying because he was vocal against the king right about his adultery 
this is not Herod the Great. This is Herod, is it uh, Agrippa? Um, I believe so. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's one of Herod's uh, sons. But the point is this, is that to accommodate all those coming out, and it was people from all over the land that were coming out to the Jordan Valley to be baptized for repentance. And it was to send people a signal of the coming one, of the coming Messiah. Right. And uh, it didn't last forever. It was a one-time, it was his, it was his ministry, right? That was his, his ministry was unique in all biblical history. Yeshua himself says, among those born of women, none are greater than John the Baptist. I mean, he's basically, Yeshua is saying, this is the, this is the purpose of the sons of Aaron uh, was to, was to call Israel to repentance and to point them to the Messiah. And frankly, it seems that in the Temple Mount and even where the large mikvahot were in the Temple Mount on the uh, south end there were con highly controlled space. Right. And, and, um, I mean, that, that's the issue. I mean, the, the issue is not that Yeshua is saying the temple is not valid. In fact, he heals, remember one of the lepers, there's, does he heal? I, I could be missing, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he heals like in one instance, there's 10 lepers that he heals and nine of them go away and one of them comes back and he tells them, go, go to the temple and offer, you know, fulfill the commandment of the Torah. Right. To, to concerning your cleansing. So um, you sh so that person, that leper would have gone to the temple and would have gone through the mikvahs and gone on, if, if assuming that they did what Yeshua said to do, they would have still had to do a mikvah and all this kind of stuff going up to the temple mount. I think that even post-Pentecost, even post-Shavuot, after Acts 2, where Peter and John are going up into the Temple Mount, and where they heal, remember they heal the man who is lame? Um, silver and gold, I, have I none, right? Right. <laughs> that wonderful passage. Uh, I think that they would have probably done mikvahs. I mean, I, I don't see a scenario where the disciples somehow wiggle out of doing the required mikvahs that the, that are being policed. Remember, the, the, the priests are policing who gets to go where on the Temple Mount? It's not like a free-for-all. Well, okay, hang on just a sec, though. I think that there is actually more to it than just that. One of the, so I'm looking, I've been looking for the past few minutes uh, for the reference from MT, NT Wright. I do have it in my notes, but it's on a hard drive up, upstairs, so I got to get it. And maybe I'll put it in the show notes of this show. Maybe I'll put his quote in the show notes. Anyway, not the point. N.T. Wright argues that the reason that he went out to the mikvah was because Israel was waiting for a Messiah figure to come. And he goes out to the Jordan to do the mikvah to represent in Joshua one when they when Israel right, comes a new, and they, a new Israel yeah right a new Israel and and what they say is we accept the covenant and then the waters are parted and they come through the waters of the Jordan up onto the, to the new land and what and what Wright argues is that this is actually. Uh, Israel never comes in and, and worships God the way that they should. They they instantaneously go into idol worship and and following after the the you know doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And what uh, John the Baptist is doing is saying, no no no, we are coming in a new people who really believe in repentance, who have repented and are really going to accept on us the the covenant terms, and that we will be this people that's actually going to do it. And so he goes out. 
and this is this is when we see uh, the idea of baptism take shape that we are coming into. And yes, there is a level of mikvah, uh, you know, coming up new and fresh, and whatnot. But the point is, is that there is one baptism here. And we see this in Ephesians, right? In Ephesians, what is it? Uh, four, four, five. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and, and in all. So the point here is simply that there's we don't a mikvah continues to be done over and over and over and over again, right? The writer of the Hebrews talks about this with the priest, with the high priest. He has to go into the into the temple and and sacrifice over and over and over and over again. It's the same with a mikvah. Every time you become unclean, you have to do the mikveh again. This is not the case with the baptism. There's one baptism. We, we pledge allegiance to Yeshua and therefore come into the covenant. And once we're in the covenant, we're in the covenant. We don't have to keep doing the, the baptism over and over and over again. And so there's a lot of things that are wrapped up in this and a lot of things that are different than the, I mean, here's a question, and back to back to uh, to Rob's comment about going out to the to the Jordan instead of doing a, doing it in a mikvah bath in, in Jerusalem. Certainly, it was highly regulated, and certainly your your comments about the priests holding on to the to these ritual spaces is is correct. But the question that I would have is, could John have done this same thing anywhere except for the Jordan? And I think that the answer is no. I think the symbolism of of a new Israel with the right heart not just with the right lip service, but with the right heart, saying, yes, we will submit to what God has said. We will accept the covenant. We will come into the land. We will keep the covenant unto God. I think that this symbolism has to be done in the Jordan. I don't think it could be done in a ritual bath. And so as we start to put together these minute little uh, things that are different from the, the mikvah that we would have seen in Jerusalem, as they start to mount up, it's like your Duplo, you know, Duplo Legos were, were kind of building up this this wall of things that are different between a mikveh and a baptism. So I'm not saying that there isn't some connection. Certainly there is some connection in between, between becoming ritually clean, the, the symbol of be, you know uh, touching death and then having death attached to us, going into a mikveh, coming up fresh and, and clean and being able to enter the space that where God is, right? This, uh, this is certainly the same symbolism that we'd see in terms of going under the water, coming up a new person and being in covenant relationship with God. But ultimately these two, two things do have enough differences that we can't say that they are one and the same. So, so Craig's comment here that, uh, that all John the Baptist was doing is a mikvah, right? John the Baptist was doing a mikvah, which was known to the Jews. Well, it seems like something else was known to the Jews. And what that thing was, and we see this throughout the scriptures, right? We see Paul in Acts, the the, uh, the 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 Roman soldier says to him, he says, "Are are you the Egyptian?" Well, what's he talking about? The Egyptian took thousands of people out into the desert and tried to rebel against Rome, and Rome threw threw that rebellion down. Thousands were slaughtered. Why were people willing to go out into the desert? By the way, into the desert again. Why were they willing to go out into the desert with some Egyptian dude? And the reason why is because they thought he was the one. He thought They thought that he was the Messiah. So the first century people were looking for a Messiah, first of all, and they were willing to follow that Messiah, number one. Number two, they for some reason they believed they were going to have to leave Jerusalem. They were going to have to go out into the desert. So this wasn't like some fringe thing that John the Baptist makes up. And third of all, they, they followed people into the desert. And it wasn't just the Egyptian. It wasn't just Christ. We have accounts from Josephus of, I think, three or four other guys who tried to take people out into the desert. 
They're recreating the idea of Moses coming to the land and then Joshua taking them through the Jordan. And so I think that this is the this is the uh, the main point. Let's keep going here with Craig's comment. He says, since Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, does that mean that Jesus is also Lord of the Torah, including the concept of mikvahs? Baptism means different things to both Western and Eastern churches, and sprinkling is extra biblical. I agree with that, actually. I agree with the, the idea that sprinkling is... It, the notion of sprinkling someone uh, and calling that a mikvah or a baptism in the first century is non-existent. Submersion was what happened. Now, I've seen people take this too far, right? I've seen pastors see people get dunked, but you know, a piece of their head didn't go down and they, they'll stop it. Stop it. It didn't, that would, that didn't count. It didn't work because the person didn't go fully under the water. This is nonsense. Okay. I mean, obviously we're still talking about ritual. We're not talking about the Pharisee, the Pharisees trying to nitpick on every little, you know, every little thing. But the idea of sprinkling someone and calling this a baptism or a mikvah, I've seen, you know, I've seen people take, uh, this is real prevalent in like the Presbyterian uh, denomination. They'll take a, a handkerchief and they'll put some water on it and then they'll dab it on the person's head. The Catholics do, do that in some instances as well. I think particularly with oil. I'm not a Catholic scholar, but so I wouldn't know. But nonetheless, I, I think that uh, there we certainly have uh, we certainly have uh, instances where various Christian denominations are attempting to sprinkle people. I don't think that this is what is meant by mikvah or baptism. The word baptismo literally means to submerge. Okay, I've talked for a long time. Before we go on with the rest of Craig's comment, did you want to say anything about all of that? Uh yeah, it's a big topic. I I think that um yeah, I mean one other passage I guess I don't know if you mentioned is like Romans 6 where Paul talks about the picture of what what you were which I think you were talking about like cleansing from corpse contamination to have access back to worship in the temple space is a picture of being washed from being transitioned from the realm of death Right. And, and sin to the realm of life and, and, uh, and I think, access to I, God. I think that and, this, this point right here, Rob, I think is actually where the mikvah and the, and the baptism meet. And this is actually what Craig picks up on this too, right? He says uh, his end comment, hang on just a sec, sorry, let me get back to this. His end comment is, Sprinkling is extra biblical, does not describe what happens to the believer. According to Romans 6, 4, so he, he takes us to Romans 6 as well. Mikvah is immersion in running water, aka, aka living water, as described by the Messiah Yeshua. So he he's making a connection of mikvah to the Romans 6 as well. I would say that this is this is probably where the two kiss, right? This is where the two mikvah and baptism come together and and we see the symbolism meet. Keep going. Yeah. No, I, I think that's I think that's right. And um, that the ultimate picture that salvation, the, why is it once? Why, why is there something that is, a, that is only one time and the other ones are over and over again? We see that elsewhere too. We say, well, Yeshua is, you know, they'll say, well, he is the one time sacrifice, right? right? He's the, he, he, his life is the redemption price not not the blood of bulls and goats 
right? So how are we to understand where we have things that are repeated over and over again, like a Yom Kippur every year, but then we have, like in Hebrews, it says one time, you know? And so we have this kind of contrast, things that are just once right. and things that recur. And then what, what's special about the things that occur one time? And because um, you don't, you know, because, well, because I believe in the doctrines of grace, you know, that's the explanation. The explanation is the doctrines of grace is that the elect are redeemed. And that's a one-time transaction. It's not a, it's not a, you have it and then you don't, and then you're not sure. And then you think you have it again right. and then you don't, it's not like that. So that the things in the law that are in this world teach us and, and we need that repetition, just like the Shabbat. Right. I mean, the Shabbat is every every seventh day. But guess what? In creation, God rested the seventh day and that was it. God didn't start making a new start earth over again. Right. On the on the first day of the next week. It's like he created everything and then he rested. So that's a one time thing. Right. Now, when he talks about a new heaven and a new earth, that's I think that's talking about um, some sort of transformation of the created order. It's not the complete annihilation of everything and then the recreation, because we know that can't be the case because we have continuity. We're going to remember, I, I believe that for all eternity, those in Messiah are, we're going to remember who he is, that he's the redeemer. We will always remember that we are re the redeemed, always. And it's to his glory eternally. And concerning the, right. the, as concerning the punishment of the wicked, I'm almost, I would think that the wicked probably have a memory also of their rebellion that they carry with them. I I would imagine now, I'm, maybe there's scriptures that are, would elucidate that better, but um, I'm just saying that there's a, baptism is, there is a baptism that is a one-time thing, and it has a certain meaning, and even in Acts, remember that, oh, we only knew the baptism of John. Right. We, we don't know about the the Holy Spirit. And of course, now that's something that has been taken in the Pentecostal circles. So like, oh, now you have to, there's some other kinds of uh, signs that have to, to accompany this baptism. So you know that you're really baptized by the Holy Spirit. But um, yeah, yeah, there, there's a lot to be said, I think. All right, that. let's move. I, I just kind of kicked the, kicked the tires a little bit on it. Let's do it. Let's move on. Let's uh, let's keep going. We have some interesting things here that uh, we want to talk about. Before we jump into them, two five three uh, wrong one two five three four six five thirty two zero five. That's our comment line. You can also shoot us an email, chegatorresource.com, and you can uh, help direct this show with your comments and your questions. Okay, one of those comments and questions comes in uh, from. Actually, it's just the the person's name on YouTube was Dash Dash. That's the like name. D A S H D A S H. Nope. nope, just an actual Dash Dash. I didn't know you could do that. Okay. So they say, sadly, most Messianic congregations worship the same way evangelical churches do. Then they wonder why Jewish people are not interested. It is also sad that many. When I'm emphasizing this means that the word is in all caps. Many church churches boast they do not do things in a Jewish way. 
Okay. Um, there is a lot to unpack in this, uh, in this comment from Dash Dash. Now, I am one of the people who used to believe that if a, if a messianic congregation worshipped and structured their service in the same way as a church, that it, it uh, was a travesty. I no longer think that. In fact, uh, I don't really understand why an order of service or what a, what a worship service looks like would make a difference to our Lord, right? Um, unless there are things that are commanded or unless there are things that people are doing that are clearly of a different religion that are, that's not, you know, that shouldn't be done in a service. I don't think that structuring a, a worship service in a specific way is necessarily right or wrong. Um, and so it, it, the comment, sadly, most Messianic congregations worship the same way evangelical churches do. So what? Why is that a problem? Um, and I think that the I think the qualifier here is in the next statement. Then they wonder why Jewish people are not interested. This is not why Jewish people are not interested in messianic congregations. The idea that they don't look like uh, Jewish synagogues is not why a Jewish person is not interested in the messianic synagogue. They're not interested in the messianic synagogue because the messianic synagogue believes that Yeshua is the Messiah and is God incarnate. That's the reason. That's the rub. It's always going to be the rub. It doesn't matter what your service looks like. You can have, you could have a, a Hasidic-led uh, service with a Hasidic prayer book and all of the accoutrements that come along with a Hasidic service, and the Hasids are not going to look at it and say, great, I want to come in and, and worship with you guys. What they're going to say is, you guys are idolaters because you believe that Jesus is, is not only the Messiah, but God incarnate. That's the rub. So, I, I mean, I think that it is a rose-colored glasses uh, kind of approach to think that if the Messianic synagogues would just conduct their service in a certain way, then Jews would just, in droves, enter the doors and start worshiping with them. But they won't because they look like evangelical Christians. No, that's not the reason why. Well, here, but here, I wouldn't be surprised if there are places, well, I, I think probably we know that historically there are places that start out messianic with like, they have like a messianic quote rabbi. Right. And he starts leading them down. We're going to do more and more Jewish traditional liturgy. And, and we want to make this like the goal is we want to make this hospitable. And so Yeshua becomes kind of, it's it, the, the, um, the shofar blast or the, the megaphone is not Yeshua repent and believe the gospel. Right. It's not a heralding of the, of Yeshua. It's rather the megaphone gets packed in the back of the closet collecting dust and everything becomes Hebrew. Most of the people don't even understand what's going on. How many times um, have we seen, how many times have we seen people? But it's like, Oh, we're, our hope is to be hospitable to, to Jews. Um, I think that most of the time when people try, we've to seen leaders, sorry, one more point. We've seen leaders that then end up, abandoning issue all. I mean, they're like, yeah, I never really. That's what I was going to say. What, what you end up, what, what ultimately happens is, is not a want to, to cater to the Jews, to the Jewish people. That's not what it is. It's a want. It's a, it is, let's use Rob's line again. It is a fascination with, with the Jewish yeah. uh, candy love, land. They, right, right. They love rabbinic candy love rabbinic uh, mysticism more yeah. than they 
I love Yeshua. And so what ends up happening, we see this a lot, is you have, and it's this is unfortunate, it's not hyperbole to say that we see this a lot, and we have seen this a lot. In the past 30 years that I've been in this movement, 35 years that I've been in this movement, I have seen numbers of congregations become more and more attuned to a Jewish service become and and it and it's just it's one step at a time more liturgy more hebrew the congregants don't know exactly what's going on anymore because there's so much hebrew then all of a sudden it's a a a fascination with the rabbinic literature and then it's a affirming that yeah and then it's an affirming that the rabbinic literature is on par with scripture and that and that it is somehow divinely inspired and then it's that yeshua is the messiah but he's not necessarily god Right, and, and then and, and then even the Kabbalah, Kabbalistic texts point to Yeshua. This is Shapira, right? Right. right. That, um, yeah. That pretty soon it's like, <laughs> yeah. And then and then and then many of them just finally say, you know, and what? then strangely you have someone like Michael Brown <laughs> endorsing. Like the kosher pig, didn't he endorse the kosher the kosher pig or something? It's he just, paid the shipping. He paid the shipping for people to get the book. He'll pay the shipping if you buy the book today. That is the most idiotic <laughs> position go. to take. That's the most idiot. Dr. Brown, I love your, you know, answering Jewish questions. Good, good job. But this is idiotic behavior, unbecoming of one who loves Yeshua. I'm sorry, that's 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 where I stand. That that the kosher pig is an atrocity. It is it is brutal. If you haven't seen it, I I wrote a, several years ago wrote a little quick thing. Just just it's bad. It's not even good grasp of kabbalistic literature, right? It's 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 like it's not good. It's not good. But here's the thing: for some reason, what is it about messianism or messianic Judaism that permits? This kind of these kinds of uh, crazies to to have 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 a field day with the sheep, right? It's like letting a wolf in to the sheep pen. Oh yeah, brutal. So Jeff makes a great comment in the in the chat room. He says, "Is God concerned at all with worship tradition? It seems much of the Torah was written within a specific worship tradition that doesn't directly translate into our modern context." He just wrote another one, he said, which I haven't read yet, but he says, how do That's various cultures around the world understand Torah in a way that makes sense to their immediate cultural context? And that is the that is the question. So ultimately, you know, I don't have a problem if a... I think that what you have is a fascination... Okay, let's stop for just a second, because... I think that there is, this is in steps too. I think what the Messianic movement has attempted to do is say, and I think I know this from firsthand, there's this idea of the Judaism that we have today is what Christ was doing in the first century. And so what I want, I want to do what Christ was doing. So I'm going to put on a tallit. I'm going to, to, to use this prayer book that Christ was reciting in the first century. I'm going to, you know, maybe dress a certain way or, you know, I'm going to eat a certain way. And all these things are what Christ was doing. And, oh, you know, it took my family 25 years and a very, you know, it wasn't all at once. It was this step-by-step learning, hey, guess what? Most, if not all of this stuff that we thought Christ was doing in the first century didn't come around until the 10th century or later. So 
And, and then it's like, okay, well, you know, how do we walk this back a little bit? Or, you know, how uh, we've been doing all this stuff, how do we incorporate? So I think that a majority, not all, but a majority of the messianic movement is kind of looking at, at modern Judaism and saying, I think that Christ did this in the first century, let's worship like that. Uh, you know, the, the liberals today are going to say, well, that's cultural appropriation, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I think that that's nonsense. But the, the point here is simply this. What the Messianic synagogues are, are taking on upon themselves are not necessarily, hap- you know, it's not necessarily what, what Yeshua was doing in the first century. So if, right. if people are doing that for the reason that they want to look like Christ, okay, they've missed the mark on that. That needs to be rethought. If instead the congregation is saying, we want to reel in the Jews, and so we're going to, uh, we're going to fashion our, our service after the, the modern synagogue, strike two. I think that that is a mistake. That's not going to work. You need to preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's what's going, that's what we have been commanded to do. Outside of that, if a person wants to wear a tallit, that's up to them. I don't really care. But ultimately what you're going to have is you're going to have a, you know, if we take away the Kabbalistic, if we take away a bunch of this tradition that really wasn't going on in the first century, what you're going to end up having is people who look like a mix between the Christian church today at least in the West, at least in the United States, you can have people who look like the Christian church today and also look a little bit like the, the synagogue today. And so the, the idea that, uh, you know, oh, it's a travesty that the, that the Messianic synagogues look like evangelical churches, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. I, I just don't. Am I wrong for that, Rob? I well, mean, I mean you, may, you may take a different depends view Depends upon that. which evangelical church, right? <laughs> right. Um, fair, fair point. But, but, yeah. you know, so, you know, cause there's, there's churches where there's the focus is on, uh, an experience like a, a rock concert or a music concert with lighting and, and, and drone sound and like repetition and, and like this, the same words. On it. And the idea is the people go because they want to have a otherworldly kind of experience. They want to, they want to experience something, a connection with a lot of people that's tied to the idea of a higher power, you know, that's different, but are they, are they being shaped? Like, is that producing fruit? Right. And what produces fruit is the hearing of the word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That means someone has to be teaching the scriptures and, I've been to big churches where a lot of music on the front end that may or may not have a little bit of scripture sprinkled in. It might have the name Jesus in there or a father, you know. Um, But scripture is really a sermon that has maybe a couple slide show decks or slide images that have maybe one, one verse of scripture. So Bible verse or Bible communities that have uh, a centerpiece of the word of God. I think that's awesome. I think that's what it should be, right? Where the, where the centerpiece is the exposition of, of the word, the hearing of God's word, and then the, the teaching of God's word. Worship is great. Singing is great. Don't get me wrong. But so I would just differentiate which kind of event, because they could both be called evangelical. Yeah, I, I mean, think. if your Messianic synagogue has smoke machines and, and your rabbi <laughs> so is wearing skinny jeans, then maybe you want to rethink where you're going. And I mean, that's culturally, that's my, I would say that that too Dude, is my cultural I've been, preference. I was at, a, yeah, I think it was in the Seattle area. 
I visited a, a messianic Jew. I think it was UMJ. A or yeah, UMJC I, or one of these. I know, I know, I know what kind of thing. This about. was it. This was it. Okay. So they have a room. It's a nice size room. It's like, oh, yeah. this is this is great. I went with a friend of mine who is, happens to be Jewish and a believer, Ruch Hashem. And we went and uh <laughs> sitting there and they they bring they had stand, they had a they brought the Torah scroll out and they they brought it up and people were like, you know, kissing it and all this kind of stuff. And they brought it up and they laid it out. And then a person symbolically read, I don't even think they read it in Hebrew. I think they just read it in English. They read the first line of the parasha, the first line of the weekly Torah portion. And then they put the Torah scroll away. And then the the rabbi came out and he had a little stool with a little small table with his coffee. And he just sat on the stool and kind of talked Chatted. about all. It was like a little chat with, chat with the rabbi, sipping his coffee. And then after it, that lasted not even a half an hour. And then they went back and they had a ton of bagels and big, big, huge tubs of cream cheese. Hey, and look, then it was it. So the whole thing was like, and then it's like, everybody's like, bye. And it's like, not even, <coughs> I don't even think it was an hour total. Most of it was singing up front. But the idea is that the, to me, that's problematic. You know, for, for all the flack that we give the Hebrew rooters, the one thing I have to say is every single Hebrews congregation that I've been to, and I've been to a number of them across the United States and and even in other countries, for all of the flack that we give the Hebrew readers, the one thing that I will say is they desperately want to be in the Word. And they read the Bible. Yeah, they're and reading. And they read the Bible. Even if it's the Scriptures. <laughs> Everybody's got their blue, the Scriptures, remember? I mean, the problem is, is when you, is ultimately when you come in and, and you're reading the Et Sefer and, and you know... What you have is is you have a desperate want to be in the in the word with absolutely no training, and uh, I think that this is where this is where the Hebrew rooters get in, in, into trouble. But I will say this: I think that you know, for all the flack that we give them, the Hebrew rooters are really actually in the word a lot more than a lot of not not all. I don't want to make a whole lot of blanket statements here, but they're in the word a lot more than some of the messianic congregations I've been to. A lot of the a lot of the uh, messianic congregations I've been to are more enamored with the rabbinical take on things than they are with just just diving into the word. Now that's once again that we need to be really careful because there are some amazing people and amazing congregations that are messianic, and so I don't want to I don't want to uh, I don't want to down the entire you know, movement of the messianic movement. I don't want to down the entire movement of the Hebrew rooters. You know, so one of the most uh, kind and and uh, loving people, uh, brothers that I've ever met, I think, uh, was, was part of a Hebrew roots congregation. And he was just a, an absolute blessing and a joy to be around, even though he had cool. every once in a while, he had a little bit of, of interesting the, theology, you know, theology that he'd sprinkle in. It didn't really matter because we were, I mean, he was, he was just all about talking about the Bible and the Lord to everybody. We went and got waffles and he was talking to the to the server about Christ. I mean, it was you could just feel the Holy Spirit like exuding from this man. Uh, and so, you know, we talked we talk a lot about the theological issues that we have with different groups, but we need to also remember that there are people who truly love the Lord and, and are greater and stronger believers than than I am this, myself. This is, so. if I may, is back to the question about how to apply in our day and age. Remember, there was a, a little bit one of the ideas in the email that you're reading had to do with the, the different worlds. Like you read the Torah and it's like, look at my world today. Think of Yeshua for me. I'll just share what's helpful for me is think of Yeshua's parable of the sower, right? Going out and there's like the, 
you know, are you just feeding birds, right? Are you feeding right. the birds or, or are you just throwing where there's no good soil and it sprouts up, but then blows away? Are you throwing seeds among the thorns where it's never going to grow? Or are you in good soil? And then even in the good soil, you've got 30, 60 or a hundred fold. Well, for me, the way, where do you start? Well, I don't think God expects someone who has never heard, who's only been, let's say a, uh, let's not say even from a pagan background, let's say you just raised a, a Christmas Easter kind of Sunday church. And, and then, and they all of a sudden go, wow. And they're being, okay, the Sabbath, you know, oh, or maybe it's, maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to look at this Leviticus 11 and change my diet accordingly. Um, Sabbath, you know, and they start building. And that is, I think that's good, right? It is that you have to grow from where you're at and you grow. And as you go year by year, you learn more and more of God's word. And you allow that renewing of your mind. You allow God to, to, um, well, it's not that you're allowing God to do it. You actually just enjoy being renewed and, and remade and, and, learning how to glorify God more and more through what we call sanctification, right? That it doesn't have to, ha it's, it, it can't happen instantaneously because it's the rest of your life, right? It, the, the path of sanctification, it's not like, yeah, I got my sanctification in, in five years, man. I, I was like a speedy guy. And I was like, oh man, I, I, you know, I got, it took me 25 years, you know, for, no, that's not like it. So we want to differentiate justification from sanctification and, and from so knowledge, I, right? And from knowledge. Oh, yeah, yeah. What you're describing is Lacasia. You're describing my wife, right? I meet my wife. Well, all she's, of us. I, but she's, go ahead, yeah. She, she was not raised in a, in a believing home. She goes to, a, you know, she went uh, for oh. a, a school project to a, to. she had to go to a church service. So she went up to the Compline service. And I've talked what's about the, the what's that one? The Compline service is is an it's an it's an Episcopal service. It's at the end of the of Sunday, and uh, she went to St. Mark's Cathedral. Uh, for anyone who knows Seattle, St. Mark's Cathedral can be seen from anywhere in Seattle. It's this giant building, gorgeous, up on Capitol Hill, and all the, I mean. Cover the kids' ears, earmuffs, all the gays and lesbians and trans and all oh. the everybody come in and they fill this church and they sit anywhere, not in the pews, and they're all men's choir, which is also very heavily uh, LGBTQ. Uh, they come out. Their their choir is actually world renowned, and you can hear them on the radio every Sunday night doing the Compline service, and it is absolutely gorgeous. So she went and she was attending this ch church just for the Compline service, just because she liked the music. Then she meets me. And it's not like overnight she was like, hey, let's keep the Sabbath. Let's, you know, <laughs> let's let's eat kosher. But now, if you if you if you talk to my wife, she is a force to be reckoned with when it comes to theology. She she could out theologize me <laughs> any day. And it's because she's a lot smarter than I am. But it really, I mean, if you see the progression, you know, from then until now, and now she is, she is, she's a she is a she is a biblical encyclopedia. It's it's scary how much she has retained. Anyway, I think that your point is absolutely right. It's not just the sanctification that takes the process, right? It's our learning, it's our understanding, right, it's right. our living in, with God and 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 that and deepening of that relationship. Here, here's here's another way to think of it for those who are like struggling, like how do I make sense of this? And let's just take the Sabbath commandment. 
okay, I, let's say I'm reading the Bible and I'm like, oh, the Sabbath, it seems like something that still is, is true. And I, it's against everything I learned, uh, you know, and this was my situation. I thought I was, I was afraid I was sinning by going against the tradition that I was raised in. That's the grip. And we've talked about this before. That's the grip that sectarianism and intimidation can have, you know, I mean, it's like, am I, I'm because your whole physiology has been trained right for your whole life, according to a certain rhythm. And all of a sudden to go against it, it feels like trying to ride a bike for the first time. It's like, you don't know if it's even how to do it. And so one of the first things to do is like, well, first of all, do I trust, you know, it seems real. Do I trust this do I trust this? Because it's against everything I know. And then it's like, well, what do you do? Okay, I'll go to some people who are already advocating it and learn from them. Well, if I start letting them be the judge of my walk with the Lord, oh, you're not doing the Sabbath right, Rob. Now I have noise. I have to like, okay, first of all, I have my own re- my relationship with God that I'm trying to, to learn. Uh, what, right. what does it mean to walk with God? And now I've got these other people telling me I'm not doing it right. Now, now I'm trying to ride a bike and there's, there's rocks and all that. And I can't People even. People are pushing ru- you from the side. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all yeah. saying da, da, da. So the idea is like, we're, we're okay. We all encounter this multiple voices. We have to come back to our walk with God. We have to come back to our walk with God, our relationship with Yeshua and trust him. And, and you know what? There's, there's been countless Shabbats where we didn't prepare very well, you know? It's busy late, and it's like, man, it's like, oh, okay. So is God mad at me? No, I, I at first I I kind of thought, oh no. And then it's like, wait a minute, every week, why why is this a repeated thing? It's because God wants us to get good at something. Right. Right. We get what we get good of it because we're gonna please him. No, it's for our good. It's the Sabbath was made for man. That doesn't mean it's a one-time deal. You get it right. It's like, this is, God gave this to be part of your life. Right. Right. The Sabbath and back to someone saying the Lord of the Sabbath. Yeah. He's, he's, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Sabbath host. It's it's, he's the master and we're his servants and we're enjoying his work, his completed work. We're enjoying the blessings of his household. So, but it's an, it's learning to walk with God. Right. And, yep. and that understanding the path of sanctification. Now, again, I'm, my perspective is, is uh, reflecting a, what we said earlier, it's a doctrines of grace orientation, right? It is a reformed at, at the very core structurally. I'm coming from a reformed perspective. Right. I, I can't speak for the Armenians and the, and the whatever ends out there. Right. Okay. It's been a good discussion. We only yes, got to it uh, it's, we only got to two two of the th- things on our list. That's okay. Um, if you want to uh, have us talk about something, or if you have questions, please shoot us an email. See at torresource.com. C H E G G at torresource.com. You can also uh, call our comment line 253-465-3205. I currently do not have anything that I uh, think is, is going to be easy for us to talk about on mystery Bible theater 3000. So if you find the wackadoo online in short clips, anything under three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, something like that, shoot it to us. And, uh, we would love to, uh, take a look at it 
And uh, we really enjoy that segment. It is a good one. So anyway, all right, we'll be back next week and I will have a coupon code for you for Torah Resource. So uh, get your pens and pencils ready because it'll, be, uh, it'll be a good one. All righty, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. 